in the life of the nation of Israel, calling them out of bondage. And so we'll look at that today. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we looked at this idea of when we come to faith in stage one, we uh, have the sense of awe and we start this journey of going around. So uh, wherever you are in this place, I hope this morning you'll get a bit more of a clear sense of maybe where you are in this season of faith. We all have what we call a home base. And it, it, every season is good, but every season has challenges and we can get stuck, we can get caged. So just as we look at there's a, some really sweet babies and toddlers around and they're beautiful, they're so cool. But uh, if you're my age and sucking on, you know, a bottle of milk, maybe I got stuck. eh? So we want to be able to hear what God would say to help us through whatever challenges we're facing. Um, on the back, a little prayer. I'm just going to read through that. If that's the desire of your heart, I know God will meet you in profound ways. Uh, when we gather and worship and throughout the week. So just start with Jeremiah 6.16 where the prophet Jeremiah, who was called the weeping prophet, brought a word to the nation of Israel and he said, stand at the crossroads and look. We all have those choices. Which direction are we going to go? Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Those who live life with God we always face choices. Our way, the world's way, the devil's way, or God's way. And contrary to kind of popular wisdom now, the ancient paths are where it's at. There's much that goes on in our world today and they talk about this is progressive ideas. Most progressive ideas are just old ideas re-engaged. And uh, whether it's New Age, which is really old age paganism. And so I'm just going to read this prayer. If that's the prayer of your heart, I just invite you to open up your mind, your heart, maybe even just even open your hands as a symbolic act to receive what God might have. But let's pray together. Jesus, I come thirsty and hungry for more of you. I yield myself completely and totally to you. I give you my expectations. I surrender my heart, my mind, spirit and soul to you. Inviting you to touch, to deliver, speak, heal, counsel, teach, and train me in whatever, whatever ways and areas you choose. Protect me from the ploys of the evil one. And I stand in your authority against all distraction, impatience, diminishment, self-contempt, against every lie and deception, and temptation to turn to any other God for comfort. Fill me with your life that I might more fully live in the season of faith that I am in. And with you, rescue the hearts and souls of many. Amen. Some spots there you can uh, take some notes if uh, uh, some things speak to you. Um, so as we think of next steps, learning how to move forward in our faith, we can even look at God's first interactions with uh, the, the ancient Hebrews. They were in bondage in Egypt. Bullied by a larger power. Bullied by Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Really no different than if you were to go to a playground as a youngster and some older, larger kid or group of kids takes your ball, takes your baseball glove, kicks sand in your face, calls your names, whatever. Only for them, it was day in and day out. It was year in and year out. It was the entirety of their existence. A broken people. 
a crushed people. And yet God heard their cries. And when they were unable to do anything themselves, God called out Moses to come forward and lead them out to teach them how to rely on God the Father. So they, they entered into this life and, and it's really hard to imagine freedom unless you've really been in bondage or in change or enslaved to something. You talk to an addict that's come out of alcoholism or drug, a drug addiction and very often you could see the effects on them. But they can tell you whatever part of their life they have left, they're, they're, they're full of joy. Maybe you were bullied at some point in time. Maybe in your own family. But once you come out of that, you can kind of really let your breath out. And that's stage one we talk about. We talk about coming to God in awe and wonder. And that's what God did to the ancient Hebrews. He called them out of Egypt and He sends them on a learning, a walking, a faith journey through the desert. It's not easy. But it's certainly easier than staying in Egypt. Although not for everyone, because some people start to wonder. As much as bondage hurt, at least it's secure. I am uh, fond of occasionally watching the show called Locked Up. Have you ever seen that? But it's a story of prisons and uh, jails and whatnot, and, and just people's stories. And, and you come across a lot of men who are often like, I've been in jail like 15, 30, 40 years. I got no idea what it's like outside. When I get out, I just recommit to go back inside because it's secure. I have a place to stay. I understand sort of how the jail works, even though it's dog eat dog. And I can sort of deal with it. And, and, and people reoffend that way, recidivism. People do that spiritually. That's what some of those ancient Israelites were tempted to as they walked in the desert. They went, this is foreign. As much as God is meeting us and leading us, I want to go back to bondage. So that's sort of like being in stage two, which is part of a learning journey. As we learn to live in new ways, we can get caged. We can get stuck. We can want to go back to old things because they're just more familiar. And so when you think of the people that God pulled out of Egypt and led into the wilderness, there was a new way for them to eat. God would provide them manna, literally bread from heaven that came down and was there every day for them. But it was unique. It was to show total dependence on God. And we think of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus even picked this up. Give us today our daily bread. That is a direct reflection back to getting daily manna. Because if you know the story as the, as the ancient Israelites were wandering, they could gather as much manna for one day. They couldn't save it for the next day because it would spoil and be terrible. They couldn't stockpile God's blessings and favor to last them. They had to experience God refreshing every day, providing them with daily bread. Jesus continues that to us. He says, despite what your bank account says, if you can buy your bread, just still remember. The daily bread that gives life comes from me and it's fresh every day. 
And so they would gather. The only time they were allowed to gather a little extra manna, does anyone know? For the Sabbath. Thank you, Simon. Awesome. Simon will get a gift certificate after. Just kidding. But uh, they could gather extra for the Sabbath so they could rest and they wouldn't have to envision work. And God, that's, that was God's plan. It was, God was feeding them as He led them on this journey of learning the new dependence on God. And then they got to the promised land. And if you remember those stories in Joshua, a group of twelve are kind of looking and they, they go in and they come back, they give their reports and uh, think of that, ten of the twelve, you know, like over 80% are like, ooh, big giants there. Looks pretty intimidating. Don't think we can do it. And Joshua and Caleb are like, what? If God is who He said He is and He's shown us, He's pulled us out, He's led us, He's fed us, He said this is the promised land and He wants us to go in, we need to go in. We need to take that next step to go in. So Joshua says, Let's, we've got to be strong and courageous. Because God kept saying, you, Joshua, be strong and courageous. I have given you this land. You must step into it now. And so they, take, they go in to the promised land. And as soon as they eat the food, the local food, what happens to the manna? It's gone. And so there's this stage one of where God calls you out the sense of awe. Stage two, we're learning. And stage three, the productive life where we learn new ways, where we embrace our gifts and abilities and, and we start to work with God. The manna was gone. God would said, you will now become a people. You will grow crops. You can't grow manna. And you're going to have to learn to grow crops. You're going to have to learn to sustain yourself. You're going to have to become farmers, you know, pilgrims. You're going to have to build little cities and towns and communities and live together and take care of the orphans and the widows and watch out for the aliens in your midst. But it, it takes some work. You just look at the ground and go, grow. And God says you have to learn that. So there's this learning from stage two that goes to productive life in stage three. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, George Barna, a great uh, uh, Christian researcher and uh, pollster. Is the average Christian stops growing after about seven years. Because honestly, when you think about it, if you've come seven years, and I've only been here about two, but if you've come seven years and you listen to me for se- you know, seven years, you're probably like, I've heard everything that guy's got to say. And there's only, you can only sit in a chair so long if you think this is the only way God speaks to you before you're just going to tune out. And you're just going to hear blah, 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 Jesus, blah, blah, blah. And then you're going to go and go for lunch and talk about cars and babies and, and whatever else we want to talk about. This is not the only way God speaks to you. It can be a very powerful way God speaks to you. But it's not the only way. So and honestly, most people, if you think about seven years, they probably get stuck in stage two, three. You've learned a few things. So like feel like you figured it out. And in church life, you can kind of learn to behave a certain way. You can sometimes learn to dress a certain way to keep questions away. And you can live a whole different type of life as opposed to being sold out for God. And you get stuck back there. God called the people out. He nourished them. He taught them there'll be new ways of life. And He sends them into the promised land and they start that. And then very early, very early, people are like, yeah, we don't really know how to grow plants, so let's ask some of these Canaanite people. 
How do you grow plants? Well, you take some seed, you put it in the ground, and then you go visit the, uh, the temple prostitute and you have sex with her and then that's how the plant grows. And we go, okay, let's do that. And like you don't see that in the world around you or me or us. Sexuality. See, the sexual revolution we're in in North America is nothing, nothing new. It's gone through many cycles. And, pe- and some people were doing that. That's what they, this is how plants grow. And, and you had prophets then called back up by God to say, come back. Come back, people. You, you're, you're missing it. And so you kind of have these stages. You can bring that graphic up now, James. So as we think of these uh, seasons of faith, uh, stage one, new life, new awareness of God, you know, call out a bondage when you think of the nation of Israel. And then uh, stage two, a worshiper and a learner, you're, you're learning some things. And stage three, you're, you're um, a worshiper and a servant, you're doing some things, you think of the nation of Israel. And then you kind of go, stage four, the journey inward in the wall. James, Pastor James spoke a little bit about this last week. The wall, I mean, the wall is really just your will meeting God's will. Boom. Something's got to give. Very important exam question. Which will has to give? Okay, I'll try that again. Your will meets God's will in the wall. Very important exam question. Whose will has got to learn to yield? Our own. Mine, yours. And we can hear it. We have to talk about it because it will happen again and again. And we will run. And that's in the nation of Israel. They went, somehow God's not doing what he said he would do. So let's go try the Canaanite fertility gods. Let's try Molech. Let's try Baal. Let's try as much debauchery as we can. Let's try sex, drugs, rock and roll. You name it. Let's try working as much as we can. Let's try earning as much as we can. Let's try recreating as much as we can. Let's try whatever. Clearly not God. We can talk about really three types of lives. There's the self-focused life. It's just happiness and pleasure for me. It's been around since the beginning of humanity. It's all about me. Me. There's a goal-focused life where we can pick a goal. And you see that sometimes in the church. People pick goals, even as Christians. But really the third type of life is the God-focused life, which is what, as we enter the stages of faith, what we want to focus on. So our goals become goals. Not that we go to God and say, hey, I got this great goal, God, just bless it. We come to God and say, I have these plans, these thoughts. God, is this what you want me to do? No? Oof. We can hit the wall many times over. You saw the nation of Israel hit the wall many times over. You see characters in the Scriptures hit the wall many times over and not always get it. Thinking back now, one of the ways the Queen Jezebel and the Baal worship, and if you remember in Kings, this big story where you know um, Elisha was the... Elijah was the prophet of God and and he was going to make this big stand for God. And the prophets of Baal are trying to burn up these things and, and, you know, Elijah's mocking them and all that. And then he calls forth on God and everything is burned up. And then they slaughter all these uh, Baal worshippers. And you think, man, stage three and beyond seems like Elijah's got through the wall. What does Elijah do? 
What does Elijah do? Somebody. He ran away. He ran away and he hid. We aren't that much different. He ran away and he hid, even though God had done all these great things. He went, well, Jezebel threatened me. And God comes along and doesn't speak to him in the earthquake and the wind. He speaks to him in the small voice. He says, I'm still with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Ancient words Jesus brings to life in a way that humanity has never really known before. I am with you. I love you. I'm not mad at you. I will walk with you. And He gives us this Holy Spirit that seals us tighter than we can ever imagine so we can go into the wall times. But it happens. And then throughout the wall you come to a renewed place where you serve, but it's out of a pure heart. And as you move on to the uh, upper stage, stage six, the life of love, which very few saints get to. Um, this would be the roughly 25% of the biblical leaders that uh, Dr. Bobby Clinton from Fuller Seminary studied would get to because many have died, but many have sinned. Many have brought great consequences upon themselves. Best examples you think of is like the Apostle John writing in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John as a very old man who's hidden in prison with all the writing of Paul's. Writing from prison, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Do not be anxious about anything, but through parent petition, present your request to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding, the shalom of God, the abundance of God, the wholeness of God, it cleanses all our desires for things that aren't pure and aren't holy and aren't lasting. Such a, a, a quick summary as we, as we think of those. There's many uh, writers have kind of focused on this. Um, there's a Catholic Franciscan named Richard Rohr. He's got a, a good book. Now, I always say it with cautions because uh, Richard Rohr, his book, um, what's his book called again? It's called Falling Upward, A Spirituality of the Two Halves of Life. So he doesn't do six stages. He's got two. He talks about like there's, there's the first stage of your life where you big, build this container. It's really your image. What you look like, what you do, who you're with, the thing you want to present. Usually, it's usually in North America or, or the Western world, success, prettiness, masculinity, whatever. And then he says the second half is where you really learn to look inside and find who you really are. So it's good writing if you're anchored. If you're early in stage two, I'd say don't read Richard Rohr and get great spiritual stuff from him because he, he's way out on the edges and some stuff. That's why Oprah likes him. Oprah brings some spiritual teachers in that sometimes have a little bit of value, but generally they're, they're wandered so far off we're not even sure they're in the family anymore. But this idea that we build a container, that would be the first three stages, and the next three stages, we kind of go, oh, I'm getting older. I'm not as strong as I was. I don't remember things like I did. I can't do the things of youth. I must really be bad. I'm, I'm outlived my usefulness for God or for whatever. And God says, I never cared that you were six foot and 220 or 5'4 and 105. I didn't care about that stuff. I don't care how many degrees you have. I care what you do with those degrees and serve in love. 
So Richard Rohr has some good stuff there. John Eldridge, a fantastic writer, speaks a lot on men's issues. Most of the stuff, his, his wife does some stuff to go to women. He's not discriminatory. It can speak to both, but some really good stuff. He talks about six stages, the beloved son or the beloved daughter, if I'll make the immediate transition, where you come to Christ, stage one. Stage two being the cowboy or the ranger. You're learning things, but you're, you're kind of on the farm. You're doing some stuff, but you've got dad or uncle or grandma or mom or auntie that's really watching over making sure you don't really hurt yourself. Stage three, he calls it the warrior. Where you've gone into some battles now. You're working with God. You're out in the workplace, you're out ministering, and you're taking some arrows at you, but you're able to deal with it a little bit, and you're, you're, you're on the front lines. And he says stage four is kind of this lover stage where you're kind of like wooing someone's heart. It's a guy, it's a girl, it's a girl, it's a guy. And then you go through some stuff to get to his latter two stages, which he calls the king stage and the sage and so to get to the king is kind of like a wall because ideally we want a king like Jesus, a benevolent king. The Messiah was the king. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. Christ isn't the last name like Carson or Juarez. Christ is the title. The Messiah, the King, Jesus, the King. So we want to live. We are people who live with a new king. And if we get kingship, whether it's in a family or in a workplace or in a job, we start to learn that we care for the greater and not so much for ourselves. Now, unfortunately, throughout most human history, kings care more for themselves than the greater. You see that in governments. The first rule of governing nowadays, does anyone know it? Stay in power. It's not to govern effectively. It's to stay in power. It's to stay in power. That's why politics descend sometimes to such heinous levels. Because you just want to stay in power and maintain control. But you have to go through that. You have to release that. So John Elder's got some wonderful stuff there. But now back to, uh, to the critical journey and this idea as we look at um, stage two and... Uh, Stage three, just super quick recap, stage one, coming to faith, an awe of God, like feeling like you've been delivered, led out of bondage. You don't have much figured out, but there's an innocence of heart. There's just a desire to love God and to love others. Remember myself, I came to faith and, and within about three weeks, the church I became a part of by doing that. They were having a big, it was around Valentine's Day, they had this big thing, it was German, they called it Mein Schatzi, my Valentine. And so the pastor came and said, hey, do you want to serve at this? I was like, yeah, I'd love to serve. Tell me what to do. And so I'm serving, we're serving dinner for couples that wanted to have a meaningful time and raise money for missions. And I remember at one point, this older man who was the moderator, he just, he's like, hey, you're, you just came to faith. And I'm like, how do you know that? Why does everyone know I'm new here? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I love Jesus. I love you guys. Can I do anything for you? There's just an innocent heart. And you see that in new believers. There's just an innocence of heart. There's like, oh, Jesus is so good to me. I just want to do any, anything for you. And so that kind of comes around and you can get stuck there. As I mentioned, you can uh, see this uh, cartoon, James. You know, if that's a far side where God's at the keyboard and he's supposed to hit the, the key that says smite. 
and he's going to land a piano on you. And in stage one, when we haven't quite got an accurate image of God, we just think, okay, God's delivered us, but he's just waiting to drop the piano on us. Maybe he was going to pull us out of Israel or Egypt, but I don't, I'm not sure about the future, so at least I'll go back to prison. I know what goes on there. And, and people can get stuck there. Most often you see this in camp experiences. You go to camp, it's an amazing time, and the speaker speaks to you, the Holy Spirit touches you, and you give your life away, and you come home, and you've got the same mom, dad, brother, sister, job, lack of future, financial pressures, and you're like, yeah, God, obviously this isn't working. And you're done. So you don't want to stay there. You want to meet some new or, or, or more established people in the faith who can care for you. That you know you can trust. I remember when I gave my heart to Christ at a prayer meeting with another fella, initially I was ushered out in the, and the pastor took me into his office and he'd heard an update from this guy named Roy. I didn't know that. And he starts speaking. First of all, I'm thinking, how does this guy know? But he says right away, when I came to faith, I had this wound and this wound and this wound. And some people here are going to love you and it's going to be amazing. Others are going to, you know, they're not going to let you in because they got clicks. And he says, don't let that stop you. Cause... And I remember as I heard this guy, I went, I can trust this guy. I'm not going to let him know it now. I'm not going to cry in front of this guy I've never met. But I know I can trust this guy. And that's just stage one. We, we need the, those who are mature to find those newer believers and nurture them. In love, like we see these wonderful parents with the babies. In stage two, you go on this learning journey. Learning about this new faith. Think of the Israelites. How do we plant? How do we feed ourselves? Oh, you're just going to feed me on a Sunday? Great, I'll just come. But then we learn as we grow on, we, we feed ourselves. We have devotions. We pray. We talk to God. We open our hearts one to another. We give up idols. We start to become a part of a group which is healthy. There's a belonging. It might be the church or this small group or a ministry or some other friends and you just know these people care about me and they'll help minister me and they'll care for me and they'll, they'll share things with me and they'll let me be dumb. They'll let me say, what about this? And they'll go, oh... <laughs> Well, that's your old life. <laughs> we, don't, we don't go to the bar and get drunk anymore. <laughs> it's just not healthy for you. Oh, oh, okay. Well, am I, am I allowed to go to the bar and tell some old friends? Well, yeah. But maybe I'll go with you because there's a lot of temptations there. And maybe you should take a break from it. And maybe you should think about praying how you could share meaningfully with old friends. Oh, well, that's a great idea. That's what happened. You learn these things. Back in, when I became a Christian, I was working in retail grocery and I was a, a bit part in a commercial. So we were in the ITV studios and uh, I had been transferred previously and one of my guys, I used to be his boss, he's like, hey, like, I heard like, you got God or something. And I was like, I had heard enough from my friends as a brand new Christian, maybe two months. I'd heard enough from my friends. I went, I got to tell this guy because I was innocent. I... God loves me. I just want to tell him. And I'm, I'm trying to tell him and I'm doing a really bad job. And I know it. He's kind of like, what? And from the background, I keep hearing this older guy correct me. And I look back and it's Randy. He was the service station manager. He was a Christian. I didn't know that. But he heard me. He kind of heard I'd come to faith. The other Christians in the, in the organization had talked about it. I hadn't met him all yet. 
And he was correcting me. And then I kept going, yeah, what he said. <laughs> yeah, what he said. And then I actually ended up driving home with him from the station back to the store. And him just saying, yeah, you know, it's, it's really cool what you got. He's going, you ever got questions? Come talk to me. I'm, I'm here. I'm going to pray for you and all that. I'm like, this God guy, he's amazing. He's got people on the job everywhere. And so that's what we do. We learn. We're learning some things. But we can get stuck in stage two. Let's have that uh, one, James. That next one. You see people say this. I actually stopped being Christian due to some of the rules they place on the Bible. They place in the Bible and the, and the way a lot of Christians act. So some people get stuck in stage two and walk away or peripherally are engaged because they start to learn and they're like, ooh, I don't like what I'm learning. And then they kind of don't look at what it could do and say in their own lives. They want to kind of keep it away. It's like a defense mechanism, if you will. So, they might switch churches. I don't like what that pastor teaches or, or what they're doing. And then they come to another church and, I don't know, I, you know I'm, on, I'm online church now. You know, and, and then they're like, you know what? Oprah's so much better. She got everybody in. You know, and then it's like, well, you know, I, I, I'm Christian a while ago, but that stuff is so narrow. And they walk away. And Jesus taught about that. That was the, the parable of the sower. You know, God sows. He uses us. We sow. We don't, we don't guilt people. They grow. We try and help them grow, but they ultimately have to take it. And we get stuck when we're not willing to let the seeds penetrate deep into us. Break our hard hearts. Deal with our woundedness. Find out where we need healing. And really, one of the big things there is coming out and risking a little. Is realizing, if it's really true, God has said He'll never leave or forsake us. He drew a people out. He always wanted to walk with the people and equip them and send them and, and be alongside of them. And Jesus did that. And the early church we've been looking at is doing that. I think He wants us to do that too. We have to kind of get on that journey thinking about that. So we start to realize there's a little bit of risk needed. We, we don't be quiet about our newfound faith. That's why you hear me again and again. If you're early in the stage, stage one, two, the ways you participate in the larger churches, you get baptized. You signify to yourself and everyone else, I'm with Jesus now. I'm going under the water to die to sin and coming back up. I'm not perfect. I don't have to be perfect. I'm with Jesus now. He covers me. I'm with Jesus now. So we get baptized. We join in monthly communions. We recognize the Word of God is the authority. We pray. We receive from God. We open our lives up one to another. We learn love isn't just happy clappy. Love is willing the good of another. So if some people are walking close to a cliff, we say, hey, you know, watch out. That could hurt you. That's what Paul says. The wages of sin is death. It's not unloving to say, hey, be careful. It's loving. So we have to risk a little. We go out of our way. You know, I remember when I was in university hearing stories of people that would leave a Bible on their desk. I don't know if you still have desks in university. 
with the internet. But they would leave a Bible out to just speak to people, and sometimes they would find other Christians, and it would bring up like conversations like, Bible, like, what's that? What are you, an idiot? And they'd get into conversations. You start to risk a little. Being a follower of Christ isn't to have a card secretly hidden in our wallet that nobody knows about. It's just to be open. It's discovering our calling and, and our calling. Our calling is the way each of us bring light and life to the world around us. And so that's what we learn in stage two, moving into stage three. We take these gifts we're learning, we start to be active, doing things, caring for others, collecting for the food bank. The many things you hear that SEAC and many other churches are a part of. It's the productive life. If you think of the ancient Israelites that's in the new promised land and they've got to start making crops, they've got to build houses, they've got to make fences, they've got to find animals, they've got to do all this stuff. It just doesn't happen. You can't do it on a video game and then boom, it's there. It's real tangible hard work. A lot of John Eldridge's stuff is he says there's something about men in the outdoors, there's something about people in the outdoors. It's important. We may not be farmers now, but we're meant to be in the outdoors to understand nature, the sun, the clouds, the rain, the storms, the floods, animals, the mountains, the valleys, walking, riding, running. There's something about being on journey, working the land, figuring out this creation that God has made. It's important. It's healthy. Go camping. Go for a run. Go for a bike. Go for a walk. Watch a sunrise. Watch a sunset. Look at the stars in the middle of the night. Go swimming. Jump in a lake. Fall down. Scratch your knee. Get bloodied. It's okay. It's okay. Jesus will be with you. He's with us. He'll never leave or forsake us. So we don't get stuck. And let's have that last cartoon, James. And so in stage three, we sometimes get to this place where, you know, this guy's going to St. Peter and, you know, you were a believer, yeah, but you skipped the uh, not being a jerk about it part. So stage three people can be very, he's got this way. And then it'd be like, okay, you guys got to do this. I want next Sunday, I want cans of, bags of pasta. I want cans of pasta. If you're not bringing it, you're not spiritual. You've got to feed people. That's guilt. That's righteousness. That's heaping it on. So maybe you've been a stage three person. I, I think at times I have. It's like we're in everyone's face all the time. You've got to do this. This is what's important. You've got to do this. If you're not doing this, which is the thing I'm doing, it's, you know, you, you're not important. We can start to think the church cannot survive without me. This ministry cannot survive without me. And so I've got to work, work, work. And that's like I said to you a couple weeks ago. A lot of pastors get burned out. They want a big congregation. They want people to feed. We want people to feed our ego. Or we look at people like just slots to fill. You know? Well, this guy's got that gift. She's got that. If I could just get them to do that, we'd set this up. And, oh, man, that would make it so much easier. So we can get stuck there producing. We can think that God just wants us. He just values us for what we can do. And we don't want to get stuck there. So... As we close, the team's going to come up and lead us in a closing song. Just a series of questions. First, there are seasons in life where God is calling us to grow up. The worst thing in life is not to make a mistake. 
The worst thing is to not take the next step. If you've experienced that newness of faith, but you're still not baptized, I would say, why not? If you've been learning and serving, regardless of your age, but you haven't stepped out into something else, loving your neighbors in a physical way, loving your workmates, praying for them, finding other Christians in your neighborhood or your workplace or your school place, praying while you do your job. You don't have to tell everybody about it. My wife, Anola, is a physician. She prays for people. And now sometimes God, she'll tell people, I can pray for you. I can say no. We start to do things like that. Next question to take the next step is, have you surrendered to the amazing love of God through Jesus Christ? Maybe you're hearing this and you're still like, ah, it seems to work for others, but not for me. Jump in. Faith is a, is a leap. Next question. Are you learning? Are you relearning or are you unlearning and growing into community? There's some things we learn of growing up. We can learn things like that. The older generation, if we were in the church, they just demand stuff of us. They say, don't do this, don't do that. But they don't affirm me. And maybe you've got to unlearn that that has power over your life. And you can just say, hey, I'll let them be the older generation and I just want to continue to grow into the love of Christ. Are you learning and relearning? Next one. Are you ready to enter the waters of baptism? Are you ready to take communion? Open your life up to others in some kind of small group? Where you're honest about struggles and challenges? Where you're... And even the step before is so important. Where you're even ready to say you have them. When you're ready to step out of denial. I'm afraid. Are you ready to serve? I'm going to have some lists out in the foyer. No, no, it's none of that. It's hearing God say to you, yeah, you've got gifts and abilities and you might be able to be used on a Sunday morning, but you might be able to use it in some way that isn't related to the organization of our church and that's okay. There's going to be some activities this week. Um, if you're interested in hearing about how some people are just loving their community, come talk to me. There'll be some meetings I can bring you to. But are you ready to serve? And then last question, are you ready to press into your failings? Remember, the wall is simply defined where your will meets God's will. And we can't leave. Stage three, we get failings. As the warriors, we enter the battle. We get shot at. We get hurt. We don't measure up. We don't have the best expectations. We don't have our expectations met. And then we can slink back. Now, I'll never do that again. Best thing to think of is someone gets a chance to speak or something and they do bad and they're like, never again. God wants us to press into our failings. Maybe you didn't get into the program you wanted, the degree you wanted. Maybe your marriage isn't quite what you thought it would be. Maybe your kids haven't turned out the way you thought it would be. Life isn't doing it. God wants us to press into that and find Him in there. And that's going to help us move forward to grow deep. So I invite John and the gang to come up. So I haven't explained a lot of the latter stages, but again, the first three, kind of stage one, the awareness of God and the surrendering of life. 
Stage two, the learning, if you will. And stage three, we're entering into productivity. And the wall coming after that in other seasons. But think about that this week. Think about those questions. Which stage might you be in? What's God saying to you in that stage? Every stage is good. Every stage of development is good. It's like we look at these babies. They're wonderful. But we ought not to be changing their diapers when they're 25. So we don't want to get caged. We don't want to get stuck. We want to continue to grow in the faith and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And be sent ones. Just sent to our families, our neighborhoods, our communities, our workplaces, our school places. Sent overseas to here, there, and everywhere. Next week we have a chance. And we'll have successive weeks throughout this next year as Pastor Damien and Darla are back on, the, on a sabbatical time. So Damien will be here to share. And he'll be here other times in November and coming. And we'll hear of a one who's been sent far away. Who's learning to minister in a context that's so different than we face here. No more important, no less important. But a chance to hear and learn and grow. So take some time this week. Let's close with a song. Church, stand with me. And our last song's going to be Yahweh. And um, as it's kind of an encouragement to you guys that as we go through the stages uh, of our faith, that God's uh, forever and always the same. Every time.